Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. It is uh, returned back to sort of a wintry vibe, which is just fine by me, even though the magnolia are out and I'm seeing cherry blossom out. It's kind of weird, but one thing that is like a, like a, like a North Star, true, in the, in the front of the bow is uh, I've got Kent Goldsworthy here. <laughs> I love how I get the full name. Yeah. You like Pretty, that? Oh, good to see you, Cam. Kent Goldsworthy. <laughs> oh, it's such a noble name. I thought we should give it and give it that full elucidation. Takes up too much airtime. Oh, okay. We are going to be talking to Rosemary Stanton, standing by at her house in, um, oh, beautiful, somewhere. I think she lives near Bowral. On a, on, a, on a big property. But uh, why are we speaking to Rosemary? Rosemary is uh, a nutritionist unencumbered by commu- uh, consumer or commercial interests, I should say. She's very much for the consumer. But uh, she's uh, clean skin, I suppose we could say, in regards to nutrition. And I thought I'd put to her the fact that we are in tough times, uh, a lot of us. Um, a lot of us are uh, feeling the pinch and feeling the the effects of inflation uh, of so many things. And one of those things that has gone up so much is food. It just inexorably keeps on going up. You notice it week by week, don't you? It's incredible. It's it's terrifying. It really, really is. And I can give you, you know, we all have examples. And Mm. the one that really freaks me out is um, it's just butter. Like a thing of I remember. I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I remember when. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. But you know, three dollars eighty for a stick of butter now. Right. You know, and I can remember. You know, under a dollar. Not that really that long ago. No. Um, and anyway, we're going to talk to Rosemary and say, how do we stay away from the clutches of fast food, the clutches of overprocessed food, because it's it's alluring. Mm. And uh, it's easy and it saves us money, but um, maybe it's not the best thing to do in the long term. And hopefully Rosemary's going to give us a little pep talk on, yeah. <laughs> go and make a soup. <laughs> go and make a scotch broth. Uh, but we'll talk about, you know, some of the things we can do. And, well, let's see what Rosemary says about that. And then you and I. Oh, we're gonna... You're reunited with this um, this idea of... Um, of of the um, the segment which is uh, is called. Uh, oh, you want to do it? I can do that. I can do I that. Can do that. I can do that. I can do that. That's the way it should be sounding. Um, and in specifically in regards to uh, Japanese cuisine, and uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about uh, donburi. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that one. I can't comfort wait. food, Japanese comfort food. Yeah, so and uh, we might give you. It might be kind of good after Rosemary's chat in that uh, donburi, uh, unless you're using you know unagi eel, uh, can be quite economical yeah. and good to do and easy to do and a good thing for your repertoire. And I'm so excited about it. I'm having donburi tonight. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, we'll talk about that later. And then to finish us off, waiting in the green room is uh, Angus Cummings, who uh, has come all the way from 397 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Well, not really. That's where the business is. Uh, he comes from the Bitters Lab 
and we thought we might have a little look into the history and the uses of bitters in the bar and in the kitchen. So, you are listening to 3 RFM. We've got a great show, I think, uh, of Eat It. Hang on to your hats and uh, get yourself a, a cup of whatever or a glass of whatever because the sun's over the yard arm. You're using the magic of the phone. We have Rosemary Stanton on the line. A very, very good afternoon to you, Rosemary. Thank you, Cam. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Just sort of doing a bit of work on the veggie garden, getting my lovely big piles of homemade compost and re-establishing a few more veggies. Wow. Uh, a good way to save money, but it's, it's more the pleasure I get from walking out to the garden before dinner with a basket and coming in with the stuff that we're going to eat. So. Oh, but, <laughs> there's anything better than that. Goodness me. No, it gives you a very good feeling even before you've eaten the nice fresh things. <laughs> yes, and that was the reason I was going to, uh, well, I've called you. Rosemary, things are more expensive and it's harder and harder to feed ourselves um, cheaply. That's absolutely true. It really is getting much more difficult. And the basics, I mean, things like, look at the increase in the price of butter, for example, or bread or various things. So there's a few things that we can do to help things along that. Um, what we do know is that more than half of what the average person spends on food goes on junk foods, takeaway and alcohol. So you can yeah. certainly cut down on those. Yes. That's one thing. Uh, we also, it's also a time when you really need to eat things that are in season. So, for example, if you look at the price of some vegetables at the moment, I mean, cauliflowers are cheap as anything. So, you know, discover that you, yep. and people have discovered that if you actually roast cauliflower, it's far nicer than if you boil the stuff. You, know? so you can sort of look true? for yes. some new things to do. Look for what's in season. Look for what's cheaper. Don't just go thinking I've got to have X, Y, and Z. I think. Also, we probably need to use some legumes a bit more. They're much cheaper than meat. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a vegetarian, as, as we've mentioned before, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't eat a lot of meat. But I think often we, we, we forget about the chickpeas and the lentils and all the beans. There's so many of those. And we've really just got to find a way to do it. But, I mean, if you make your own hummus, it costs almost nothing, for example, compared with buying it. Absolutely. But you can add some lentils to any sort of, um, if I'm cooking lamb shanks or something, I'll always use some lentils and then it goes twice as far. Um, and I use those blue-green lentils in with lamb shanks because they're yummy. So, you know, they're look for some different ones. They don't all need soaking. And, and, and frankly, canned beans are a very good buy. Nothing's added to most of them, not even salt for many of the brands. So you can just, you know, use them, train them and use them. Yes. We really need to avoid waste. Much of our food is wasted. So mm -hmm. we need to look in the fridge and the cupboard before you go shopping. Um, and, and you can also go for things that aren't so processed. Uh, now, I'm married to somebody who eats 750 grams of rolled of oats a week. <laughs> it's quite wow. a lot, actually, for most people, but he's been doing it for 55 years that I've known him, Jeez. or even longer. That's... And he, he cooks them himself, I must say, puts them to soak overnight. But I buy oats for a dollar forty for a 750-gram packet. Now, I don't buy them in the supermarket. I buy them in the veggie market where I buy fruit and veggies. But they also sell, you know, quite a few of those other kinds of interesting things. Yeah, because yeah. even those have gone up. A packet of um, rolled oats 
is uh, now about six dollars in the yeah. In the so supermarkets. You're, you're paying you're paying far more if you get them in a box. Yes. Compared the, with the ones in the bag, they're the same oats. Yep. If you get them in in little sachets. They're about seven or eight times the price oh, of think, buying yeah. them in bulk. And, of course, if you buy the single-serve ones, then you're up to more than 20 times the price. So look for things that aren't processed so, so much. And if you make your own muesli, which I must say that cooked porridge is one of the very few foods I don't eat, but I do make my own muesli. <laughs> really? And I use those same oats, which is the, is the base of it. I, I toast them just straight in the oven. You've got to stand in the kitchen. There's a rule because they burn easily. Yes, um, yes. I toast some nuts and a, you know, a bit of flake coconut and stuff to go in with it as well oh, yeah. and, and yep. put quite a few nuts and seeds. It's yummy, but it costs me a fraction of what it would cost if I bought the one that's already done. So... Uh, we, we basically need to do some more, more cooking because it's when you buy... Mm. And that's hard on people who've got long commutes from work and things. But what I've been saying for many, many years is that if you live with other people, then I reckon it's fair enough to have them take part in, in some of the cooking. And that includes kids or partners. But Absolutely. Even children. I mean, a three-year-old can help, you know, break, learn to break up the leaves for a salad or, you know, toss them around or something. They love helping. And by the time children are 10, um, then really they should be responsible for one, at least one meal a week. You can start them on Saturday lunch or something if you like, but they, they really should take responsibility yeah. for cooking a meal. And that means cleaning up the kitchen afterwards. But, you know, so I think, and I don't mean to sound sexist here, but I think women have to not play queen of the kitchen. Right. You know, we have to sort of um, let other people have a go, let them take responsibility. And this means that, you know, boys and girls and men and women, if they all take a go, because frankly, if you've got to cook seven times a week, you know, for dinner every night, mm. and it, it's tempting to either go out or to buy takeaway, and that's going to add to the cost of food. So, you know, if you, if you have a night off because someone else is doing the cooking, and they'll make mistakes, but they'll learn, um, and, you know... I, I just think it's a start. I had I had four kids, so everyone, you know, and I was a busy person, so people had to learn to cook in my house. One of my daughters was always, the kids that others say, oh, we're going to have heaps and heaps of herbs. She puts too much herbs in everything. But, I mean, she's ended up as, as a woman being an excellent cook. But she had to learn, you know, that just because herbs are nice, you, you sort of stop picking too many out of the garden, which is another thing. Grow your own herbs. They're very expensive to buy, and you can grow them in pots, um, and if you grow your own basil and mint and, and, and parsley and dill and various, you know, you save heaps of money. So it's all a bit time-consuming, um, but so is wandering around the shops trying to find something that's cheap. Yeah, that's true. And, that, and get those children working. Yeah, you get, is, them, is get them working. Change the things. I mean, now, you know, you can get some advice from, from other people. And uh, back in the 1990s, a group of people in Western Australia I was involved in working with them. We did a, a program called Food Sense where we looked at the price of, of foods and the absurdity of one of the things we looked at was the fact that when you looked at breakfast cereals in packets, the more sugar they had, the higher the content of sugar, the higher the price. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, that was the first thing that made us think, this is ridiculous, sugar's much cheaper than anything else in the, pot, in the packet. What's going uh, and on yet, here? As the sugar goes up, so does the price. So that's ridiculous. So with, with potatoes, you buy straight potatoes. Um, well, they're dearer than they used to be, but they're not too bad. But if you buy them already chopped up as chips, or if you buy them ready cooked, or if you buy them as potato crisps, that the price goes up 
dramatically. So you need to sort of, um, you know, you really can roast some potatoes in your own oven and get them, get them being nice. So there's, there's lots of things we can do. Uh, and and the, the really good news is that the healthy diet that we recommend, yes. and the healthy diet recommended doesn't mean you can't have, you know, any any junk food or, um, I mean, just the junk food should be very minor, less than 10%. Not everyday you food, as you always say, yes. Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean you can't have any meat, um, but perhaps not too much. And But what you basically need is, is fruits and vegetables, and you'll have to buy them in season. Mm-hmm. Some legumes, some healthy grains, that could be wholemeal bread, you can get wholemeal couscous, you can get you know, the oats that I'm always carrying on about. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there are lots of, of brown rice, and, and there's, there's a whole lot of other things too that people can learn to eat that are quite cheap. So various cereals and grains, so look for something a bit different. Um, couscous is, is, takes five minutes to cook. <laughs> you, know, yes. you can buy a wholemeal one. Um, which has a bit more flavour. Now, you've got to add something oh, okay. to it to make it taste good. Yeah. But all of that helps. So um, cooking yourself, don't waste it, less processed, legumes, in-season things, less junk food, um, and, and getting everyone helping. Few, just a few of the things that we can do. And one of the things I loved watching Stephanie Alexander encouraging and teaching children to cook is how at what an early age she gave them knives. <laughs> which uh, I thought was incredible and I first saw like children as young as oh, I, seven or eight years old um, using knives and um, and she said to me Cameron you just have to trust them they know how to do it and you um, have guidelines and um, they're a great help at the kitchen and it gives them a great association um, with the kitchen and cooking themselves and that's a skill we all have to learn and nurture within others I think Oh, absolutely. And I have to admit to a slight vested interest here, not that it has any money attached to it, but I've been an ambassador for the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Program because what we know is that when kids uh, learn how to, to, well, they see vegetables growing, whether it's in a home garden, a community yep. garden or a school garden, they're far more likely to eat them. Yep. Um, and when they cook them themselves, they're far more likely to eat them. So it really is a wonderful program, and we really need to get kids in, involved in doing this, partly to take some of the, <laughs> take some the, of the burden off, off the, the main yes. cook, but also because for their, for their health and for their own... Um, they feel a sense of worth when they actually prepare a meal for people. Everyone's a winner. Now, I'm just uh, before we leave, I'm just um, curious, your husband, what does he have on his porridge? Does he? Is it just he's a, a good Scot and he just has a wee bit of salt and that's it? Or is there other some, bits? He has some dark brown sugar, I must tell you. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> just a sprinkle of it. He often has... I always stick some banana or something on my cereal. I usually stick some in the bottom of his bowl as well, so he has banana and sometimes (laughs) he sticks some dried fruit in prunes or something if there's any nice prunes that have been cooked up very nicely. But mostly he's just a a good rolled oats. He soaks the oats overnight, so they cook really quickly the next day. Yep. Um, it's not a big deal, and, and he does it himself, so that's, okay, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's his a good job. thing. But, you know, you can get some information, and um, I, I mentioned um, earlier that there, there is a, a free book that you can download. Yeah, what was that called again? It's called More Money, More Food for Less Money. Right. And I, think and I only discovered last week that it was written by a dietitian who is 
lives one kilometre up the road from me and you... she didn't know I lived here and I didn't know she lived there either. I was happy to endorse the book though. It, it's, it has some really good information about how to save money when you're cooking. Yes. It also has some recipes. Now, the recipes, in my opinion, needed a little bit of olive oil in them, most of them. She didn't use any oil. She sort of browns onion without any oil and I'd rather stick some a bit of olive oil in. But, but yeah. there's Hello. lots of ideas for using legumes. And I, I'm pretty sure this is a, a health farm that's uh, up the road and they run very good programs to stop people smoking and various other things. But um, I'm pretty sure they're, they're vegetarian and possibly vegan, but the recipes certainly um, are vegetarian. Mm. Uh, but then, then that's quite handy if you don't know what to do with a chickpea. Okay, that sounds good. And it's free. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. It's downloadable for free, so I don't feel any... Uh, I just... Love you, that. You asked me to do this program, suddenly I get a little note in my letterbox saying, <laughs> thank you for being willing to endorse the book. We are just one kilometre up the road, and that's our nearest neighbour, actually, because I live in a rural area. So. Wow. <laughs> the things you discover when you're looking for how to cook food for less. I love it. Well, let's uh, let's keep on doing that because uh, we can all win together and uh, and grow better and more healthily um, by doing that. Rosemary, thank you for giving us a steer in the right direction. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Cam. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. How you doing out there? I'm glad you could join us. Um, Kent and I have done um, a couple. I think kind of useful little segments called I can do that. And uh, what was the first one that we did? We did was teriyaki first. I th- maybe, yeah. We've we've done a couple. There was teriyaki, and then I'm trying to think of the other one that we what did. Was the other one? Okonomiyaki. Okonomiyaki. That was the first one. That was quite a while ago. Yeah. So I think Ken and I probably both uh, agreed in the. Well, I'll, I'll, have, I'll nail my <laughs> colours to the master then see if you agree with me. If I had to eat any cuisine for the rest of my life, just one, mm-hmm. if I had to pick one cuisine, it would be Japanese food. Hard to go past it. It is. I mean, there's some stiff competition. It is. Don't, uh, uh, yes. Don't it, mind a bit of Thai. Don't mind a bit of Vietnamese. Yes. Um, but, yeah, Japanese I think food. Thai food's too crazy to eat every day. Ah, <laughs> it's just because they're nuts with their, you know, the seasonings. Just you know, I love it. Yep. Japanese food we can come back to, and one of the things that they do so well is just this nourishment and beauty in a bowl. And of course, that would be called a domburi. Domburi. Yeah. And, uh, if you want to get really tech, yes, right. So domburi refers to a rice bowl. It's the bowl. But if you want to name the bowl, yeah, domburi bashi. Bashi, mm. yeah, yeah, and uh, this is the idea that um, this rice dish uh, fits into that bowl, mm. and um, there seem to be sort of five um, major uh, ones that you have in the Japanese canon of cuisine. Yeah, and we'll we'll go through those, and they're relatively kind of new-ish. Like you know, they're not thousands of years old. This this dish, um, the one apparently the the one with eel was uh, legend has it that it was um, came into being in the late nineteenth century. Really? Yeah, yeah, and it was big with theatre goers apparently. But um, basically, it's the idea. Do you want actually? You, you tell us what is the basic idea of of these dishes? At its most simple, it's a 
bowl of rice with yes. um, toppings, variously fish, meat, veg, yep. that are marinated or put into a simmer sauce. Yes. Right? And yep. the variable. Usually with onions. With onions, garnished with onions. Yeah. And the variable being the um, the golden ratio of the simmer sauce. You know, uh, so the, what, what yeah. proportion of um, mirin and um, dashi. So, or soy and dashi. So we're going to give you the basic idea of how to do this. There might be one moment where you might want to get a bit of paper out and a pencil because I know at one stage Ken's going to give you that golden ratio of, <laughs> um, of making the sauce. But fear not, dear listeners, because... There are lots of really, really great instructional videos on YouTube, mm. uh, on the on the web, of course. And the great thing about, as we were saying, is that this is a technique that once you master it, um, it'll do you really, really well. And also you'll have delicious food that's pretty cheap because... All you really need, you need. Okay, let me let me go through what you've been. You need steamed rice, mm-hmm. right? You need you need cooked rice, mm-hmm. usually short grain for this sort of a. If you want to stay dish. Japanese, yeah. if you want to stay, although but conceivably you, you could go with anything. Jasmine rice yeah. will work really, yeah, really brown well. Brown rice. I'm not quite sure about basmati rice with it, but um, mm. yeah, mm. yeah, it's a little <laughs> coquettish throw of the head there. That was very nice, of you, Kent. There, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basmati. Uh, but basically, the steamed rice. You need, um, yeah, the onions, the sauce, um, and um, a protein or a vegetable, Mm because we're going to give you a nice vegetarian one to do as well, uh, vegetarians out there, that is simmered. And then with, usually with eggs broken onto the top of it. So it's sort of like a really... Not always eggs, Ken. Not always. Okay, sorry. With some, and one we are going to talk about, the the mother and daughter one, Mm. which we'll talk about, that's... Definitely, you break some eggs and sort of like a, a really um, liquidy sort of scrambled eggs yeah. with the thing underneath. Yeah. And that's the, what I'm going to do tonight because I'm so uh, been been so inspired to do that. So, um, do you want to maybe um, riff on the 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 mother and daughter thing? Well, you're referring to ayakudon. I am. Yes. Damn right. How do you say that again? Ayakudon. Oyakudon. Yeah. Yes. Oyakudon. Yep. Yeah. Um, and O is mother and mother. daughter. Yeah. And, yeah. Chi- and, and mother and child. Mother and child, referred yes. to as mother and child, um, yes. Don, you know, referring to the chicken and the egg. Yeah, because yeah. this is, this is uh, yeah, and I think it's, it's a beautiful, it's almost poetic in, in that way, that, you know, mother and daughter yeah. together in a bowl. And um, so how do we do this dish? This uh, this Oyakadon chicken uh, mother and daughter. Well, this is the glory. This is so simple, right? Mm. You've got your bed of rice in the so, bowl. So yep. the rice is is ready, and you and you and you get mm. it ready. Yep, yep. Uh, ma- marinate and simmer the chicken. Yes. Now you should marinate your chicken probably for at least about thirty minutes beforehand. Yeah. Probably depends on whether it's at room temperature at that point or not, and how okay. long it's. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. Longer the better, often is said. And so mm. you do that, and your marinade is your simmer sauce, which is which is soy sauce based, and then sweetened with a little bit of mirin. Yeah, soya and dashi, and dashi sweetened with mirin, perhaps yeah. uh, some sugar, brown sugar, perhaps. Yes, and um, you could even put some sake, cooking sake in there. Yep. Well. And fear not that I did one of the things, the instructional videos I was watching, and said, "You don't have dashi, <laughs> don't worry." Yeah. It's okay. Make you can use on. the chicken bouillon powder, yeah, uh, which works very well. 
And um, well, it's effectively a stock. So if you've got yeah. a favourite stock, you could still do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so that's okay. So uh, do that. There are also uh, one thing that I found out um, while doing my research for this is that you can sort of um, make a, a sauce that you make your own sort of dashi within the thing, and you cut a, a piece of kombu, which oh, is yeah. a big part of dashi. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I didn't know: kombu releases its umami, umami ness, its its beautiful glutamates and things. Around about 60 degrees Celsius. Is that the magic number? That's the magic number. So you should, if there was a a certain dish where the guy, what they did was um, sautéed off the onions. And the onions, another thing that you should cook them about a centimetre wide, yeah? Ken's nodding his head because you don't want them to be too mushy, yeah? But then once you sort of sauté off the... um, the onions and this person did ginger as well. Wow. You let the pan cool down for six minutes before you add the chicken. Right. Because and then you add the kombu and then you have a maximum amount of time for the liquid to pass through sixty degrees. Rather than just being boiling. Oh, yeah? I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That sounds terrific. So that's one thing that um I did <clears throat> learn. So what have we done? We've um We've done the onions. We've we got the protein in. Well, yeah, we've got the chicken done. Now it's about the egg. And this would be something that falls down to a lot of personal preference. It so would. a lot of people might just fry an egg and put a fried egg on top. You could do that. You could do a soft boiled. You could. Yeah. Or you could uh, mix mix it up um, uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was yeah. funny. I was watching Adam Liao do it and he said, oh, it must be all golden. Yeah, right. It has to be mixed through. Yeah. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Hello. Because I had another guy saying, no, the great beauty of it is <sighs> that you mix the eggs just a little bit like you're lazy. Yeah, and yeah. then you have the uh, the yellow and the white as well. So yeah. there should be that. What do you prefer? Yeah, um, probably more on like the like a runny fried. Yeah. Um, it would be the preference. Yeah. So not mixed to too much. So then you pour that into the pot with the the chicken that's simmered and apparently another thing to do is you bounce it with with your chopsticks just sort of touch the the meat and it should be bouncy (laughs) okay because if you go much further than that it'll start to dry out Uh so you want it to be sort of cooked but you still want it to be a little bit bouncy and that'll show you by using your chopsticks will uh will tell you that um and then mm. what you do is you pour the egg mixture in and then you sort of drag the chopsticks just through mm. a little bit and you'll work it out. I yeah. mean, it'll just be... And I think this dish, to me, is one of those things that when you're cooking it and you get used to cooking it, super zen. Yeah. The world yeah. and your troubles <laughs> will disappear for a little while while you concentrate on this little pan in front of you the effort to taste ratio is you know it's pretty good it's pretty good yeah so low effort so great taste. yeah uh 12 here on three triple rfm we're gonna uh possibly just go through a few of the uh uh the different don buries that uh, you can do we've just been speaking of uh can you say it because you say it better than i do oyokodon oyokodon chicken mother and daughter uh guidon 
Gudon. Thank you. See, Gudon. this is why I'm getting you to do this. <laughs> That's the beef. Gudon. Hello. <laughs> How about, how about you just take over and do the Japanese word? Katsudon. <laughs> so it's the bread crumbed, whatever you Sorry, want to go with. Sorry, let's go back to What is it? Guido. Gudon. Sorry, I'm just... Um, um, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm, but I am making yeah, but you laugh, are. so but it's you working. It, yeah. All right, so that's beef. Yep. And, yep. and that uh, just about always has the pickled ginger on top yep. of it, the red pickled ginger, which is one thing I would suggest you need to buy. Yep. yep. Uh, then you've got butadon, which is pork. Yep. Then you've got uh, tendon, which is uh, a better Not rice. Not what you might think it is, because the Chinese do love cooking tendons. Yeah, that's right. But there's no yeah. tendons here at all. It's a beautiful tempura prawn with a sweet soy sauce over the top of it. Or you can have a bit of broth underneath it as well. Yep. Another one perhaps mm. more recently uh, added to the, the popular list is karedon. So, as the name suggests, it's a, basically a curry. Oh, the, the Japanese curry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Japanese curry. Because that's another thing that's we a whole other probably thing. should do soon, maybe in the next few weeks. Yeah, so a really distinctive curry, very unlike, say, Thai curry or Indian curry. No, it's, it, yeah. it is its own thing. It's slightly, it's like a Keen's curry powder way off in the distance with sort of a brown sauce. And then, of course, what you can do if, um, uh, oh, we didn't do unadon. Unadon? Eel, uh, unagi, of course, which um, is uh, that's uh, thinly sliced. No, it's the, the eel that has been basted with the sweet soy sauce. Absolutely delicious. And again, you know, it comes to garnishes. But before we quickly go on to garnishes, which might take about 30 seconds, we should also say that if you thinly slice eggplant yeah. and fry that up, and uh, baste it with a nice, that sweet sauce that we were talking about, golden ratio? Yeah, th- three or four to one. So that'd be, say, four part dashi, one yep. part soy. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. You can do that to taste, but... Yeah, yeah. I think the eggplant. Um, well, you know, dengaku, which is the Japanese eggplant that a lot of people are familiar with if they've eaten it in izakaya or something like that, usually just gets served up. That kind of eggplant on uh, a don is wonderful. The other plant-based mm. version would be something people mightn't associate with donburi, but is effectively the same thing, and that's maba tofu, which is basically a tofu yes. um, um, donburi. Yes. I was also thinking that, you know, um, here was an, another one you could do. Uh, I haven't tried it, but um, I love fried tempeh. I think fried tempeh is really, really great, really, really nutty. Right. Um, if you got Very some nice slices um, and then fried those and then that sauce over the top, I think you could do a pretty good tempeh um, don too, although mm. I haven't seen it in in the cuisine, so it's just... An Aussie bastardisation, I suppose. I mean, it seemed there for a while everywhere you turned an online recipe world, it was all about the bowl, the Buddha bowl, or the poke bowl, or the the, the burrito bowl. Yes. You know, in many respects, a Donbury is just a rice bowl variation, or, you know, preceding um, uh, the the trend towards those bowl type um, serve ups. And it's, uh, yeah, it's getting into that, you know, that one-pot cooking type yeah. thing. And uh, you can either do it singly, um, and you, if you want to do it in that way, you should get your frying pan should be the same diameter as the bowl. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, if you want to do it for two people, you don't have to worry. You just use a spoon and ladle the, the stuff onto the rice. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and also if you do want to get really specky, there are special Donbury pans with um, you know the the handle that sticks up and the and the little lid. Mm-hmm. So Donbury, it's um, it's cheap, it's very nutritious. Uh, it has this great illusion, especially with the chicken, the mother and the daughter. Low effort. Low effort. High reward. High reward. Uh, we might uh, get our guest in from the green room. His name's Angus, Angus Cummings, and we're going to talk about the world of bitters and how bitterness um, gave people hope for their ailments in the past and uh, and allowed many little bottles to be put behind bars uh, in uh, oh, in recent years, and I think we reached peak bidders uh, a while ago. But Angus Cummings, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us from the Bidders Lab in Smith Street. G'day! It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Oh, man, I'm so glad you were able to, to come in. Was that coffee I made you okay? It was lovely. Not too bitter. Not too bitter. Not too bitter, not too twisted. Um, but bitters have been around... For a very, very long time, have they not? For millennia. For ages and ages. Mm. I guess bitters, as we call them today, probably since like the 1800s, you'd say? Yes. Um, Mostly starting in America and really branching out from there. Yes. um, Very European in origins, you know, medicinal, all that sort of energy. Because, yeah, it was was seen that um, uh, bitters played a a part in in digestion from from an early early point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And Um, stomach ailments. Yep, um, commonly drunk as a little after-dinner drink just to sort of settle the stomach a little bit. Yes. Um, and just trigger the digestive system just to sort of start doing its job. Because there is... Bitters do a thing. Yes, yes. Bitters is... Uh, or bitter as a flavour is the uh, natural world warning us that uh, we actually probably shouldn't consume that thing. It's it's your... Because they say we now have a brain in our stomachs. We have two brains and, and the stomach is going... <laughs> Hang on, <laughs> we've been poisoned. It says stop. Yeah, uh, yeah bitters. Uh, bitter as a flavour is that little nature's warning that uh, it freaks out the stomach. Don't have that, and yeah. then uh, the reaction of the body is to then try and get that through as quickly as it possibly can and yeah. get rid of it. So, uh, and that's what bitters does for eating things. The digestive the process. Job. So what it actually does, and so there's so many um, people that have kind of worked that out, that if you've sort of pushed the boat out and you've had a bit of a, 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 bit of a big meal, and you know, the Italian, well, look, we're all pretty good at overeating, let's face it, but by doing this and adding a, a, a bit of liquid, you are, in fact, telling the, um, the, uh, the body to hasten the digestive process, and that's why it works well. And then that also works at the beginning of a meal too. As an aperitivo, yeah? Yeah. Um, A lot of those things can be drunk at either end, just depending on the way that you sort of have it is sort of uh, how it sort of starts to get the body sort of going. So um, take Campari, you know, fantastic, well-renowned bitter. Yeah. You have it in a spritz with a bit of Prosecco and some soda at the start of the meal. It does a job to sort of start opening up the appetite and get the body working. Yeah. Um, you have it at the end of the meal, sort of just on ice or just neat. It uh, does a different job, but yeah. uh, very similar. And it's it's incredible how many um, different um, bitters there are around the world. I remember one, the, the Germans had one, the, the spectacular little bottles. Uh, Underberg. Underberg. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, after you've been eating all that, you have this little bottle of, of the bitters. Um, but if we look back, probably the most famous... Bitters of all um, would have to be Angostura, yeah? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, um, that's when most people you talk to, if you say bitters, that's the one they know. That's the, the brand name. It's like saying Heinz for tomato sauce or, you know. Yeah. That's what people think of. Um, we in Australia drink more Angostura bitters than anywhere else in the world per person. No way. Yeah. Uh, lemon, lime and bitters, every pub. Um, oh, lemon, lime and bitters. No one else in the world really does that. Because so, yeah. that's, a, that's a bit of an Australian drink. I never... Yeah. Right. Lemon, yeah. lime, bitters. Yeah. Australia drinks heaps and heaps of bitters. But, uh, yes. Probably as a whole, we don't really know much about the category broadly, I would say. Yeah. Well, the, there's two things that sort of come to mind um, with Angostura, which I think is, is kind of fascinating. First of all is how it came to be mm-hmm. was it was the, by a German doctor living in Venezuela, yeah? Yeah, so uh, Angostura was made originally in Angostura, which is a city... It's a place. Oh, formerly known as Angostura, now called yeah. uh, Bolivar. Yes. Uh, yeah, it uh, doesn't contain any Angostura bark which is a very classic ingredient that's used in a lot of bitters production. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. name for the place, not for the ingredient. Gotcha. And uh, now made in Trinidad. Well, this is the thing that apparently the, the, the dad, Dr. Day, what was his name? Dr. Stibert or something like that. Um, I had his first name somewhere, but I can't see it at the moment. But um, he died and his sons took on the business and they moved from Venezuela to Trinidad where it's still... It's been made there since 1875, I would say, roughly. And it must contribute... That's got to be one of the greatest things to their GDP, you'd have to say, wouldn't you? I mean, it's the thing that's available everywhere around the world. Hello. Yeah. I mean, imagine being an heir to the Angostura fortune. You'd have to be happy with that. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> but the other thing that's really weird about the Angostura is the bottle and... The bottle and the label. And the label. There's a story behind that, isn't there? There's a couple of different stories, um, and that's one of those things I don't think anyone will ever know the real story for sure. okay. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, the uh, story is that two brothers, and uh, they're getting ready to enter it into a show. It was for a competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, One was in charge of the bottle, the other one in charge of the label. Yes, okay. And uh, lacked some communication skills. Yes, and uh, just had to really roll with it. So that's how you end up with that gorgeous, oversized label that they now have trademarked and is their thing and their look. So one of them looked at the other and said, I thought you were getting bigger bottles. Yeah, and the other and one goes, thought I thought you were getting I th- smaller labels. I thought you were getting smaller labels. And they went, oh, God, we've still got to enter this it's thing today. in. today. I guess we've just got to do it. And, um, but we're going we're gonna to go for it anyway. Yeah, no, that's it. Unbelievable. And, so, and, and apparently it didn't do that well in the competition. Uh, not that time around. But, but uh, because it had this oversized label, it was the one that they was remembered. about it. And tell me if this is true. I heard another tale in the fact that Angostura became a go-to in many parts of the world um, because it was exported ruthlessly. And also to England. Yes. Right? Uh, but they were very, very protective of their brand. So, say, people releasing a bit is called... Fangostura, mm-hmm. right? They'd have the the Stibat brothers come in and and litigate, and they were tremendous litigators, right? Fam- famous litigators, famous <laughs> litigators, and this got noticed in the financial pages in England that was only read by the very very wealthy, the financiers, the bankers, and so this upper echelon of English society became aware of Angostura, and that's how it became such a mainstream in um, high society cocktails in that country. Yeah, well, I mean, um, pink gin, I think, is the famous British use for it. Yeah. 
which, um, you know, modern pink gins are sort of aromatic and have lots of floral fruit flavours to it. But um, classic pink gin is uh, London dry gin with a few dashes of aromatic bitters in there. It's supposed to ward off the malaria. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although apparently I think you had to drink about 200 pink gins to get the effect. And I'm sure some of them certainly tried. Yeah, we give we give it a red hot go. So, bitters in Australia, bitters in Melbourne. We drink a lot of Angostura, and of course, yeah, that's that's got to be true. But so far as bartenders and bars, we probably reached peak bitters a couple of years ago. Yeah, there was a big boom in the sort of mid-2000s. There Um, was. A lot of the new big-name brands sort of launched around that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Say, for example, down at the Bitters Lab, we've got a great tasting table where we've got most of the things that we stock available to try and go through. Great. Most recent count, we've got over 250 different kinds of bitters open and available for people to taste. So if you can think of a flavour, there's an aromatic bitters of some description that's there to fill that niche. Can I just say by way of promoting your great business that you have down there first of all it's independent and it's very it's niche and fabulous and secondly it's a really great shop and you just get you can get really really lost in labels in ephemera and all sorts of groovy things in that shop yeah thank you please well, we, oh, it's, <laughs> it, it's a it's a fascinating place to it's sort of like yeah Bartenders, it's half bartender supply, half, and I'm going to have to get Kent maybe to help me with pronunciation because he's good with that. I'm not. Apothecary? Run with that. Thank you, (laughs) old-fashioned chemist. Apothecary, I believe. Thank you. Thank you, Angus. Yeah, look, you know, most bitters sort of spiralled out of uh, pharmacies and chemists making something that was meant to be obviously medicinal and then launching into big brands. Medicinal compounds. Yeah. So um, if we look at Angostura is probably the most famous, would I be correct in saying maybe the second most famous is the one that was uh, used around New Orleans for um, the the cocktail that bears its name, the... Uh, oh, no, the... Peshawd's, uh, Peshawd's Bitters. Peshawd's, yeah, it's for the, for the Sazerac. Yeah, again, uh, chemist. He started out making it as a medicinal item and then yes. it was much more popular as a drink additive. It's very, very sexy looking. It really spiralled out of there. Um, the yes. Sazerac is the famous cocktail that, yes. of course, uses Peshawd's Bitters. Which, yes, uh, which went with the Sazerac uh, cognac, wasn't it, I think? Uh, yes, and then At uh, the often rye whiskey instead, um, but always definitely absinthe and Peshawd's bitters. What else do you use Peshawd for if you're not making a Sazerac? Look, there's lots of great recipes. Um, It's a very cherry, sort of anise-forward flavour, so it works really well with sort of things. As as opposed to sort of cloves and cinnamon of the Angostura. It's more dark and spicy. Yeah, yeah, there's a few other brands that also make wonderful sort of analogues for a Peshawd's bitters, like a Creole-style bitters. Yes. Uh, the Bitter Truth out of Germany is a great brand that makes a really lovely Creole bitters that yes. works really well. Uh, Death & Co. is this famous bar in America that uses actually... Did you say shorts. Death? Death & Company. Yes. With a TH? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's better than a hard of hearing bartenders. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it wouldn't go well as a business. Harder to navigate. <laughs> What's that you say? <laughs> what? Oh, what? Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> um, and they use Pace Shorts and uh, Bitter Truth Creole bitters. 50-50 is their house Peshawd's bitters for yes. a uh, Sazerac sort of blend. And what else do we put um, Peshawd in if we were just going to take it and we weren't making a Sazerac? Um, look, you know, bitters and soda water is a great little... Start, uh, okay. That's your gateway. ...weeknight refresher just yes. to uh, have a nice complex drink when you don't really want to uh, imbibe too much. 
Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, lots of the lighter fruit flavored bitters work really well for that as well. Mm. Um, and there's some recipes that use bitters as the main ingredient. Uh, the Trinidad Sour is the probably famous example using Angostura bitters, um, but uses full 60 mils um, with lemon and sugar and a bit of other bits and pieces. Yeah, apparently it's delicious and fantastic. And there's some bar in America that offers shots of Angostura, I think. There's lots of bars across uh, Australia that the bartenders will tell you the same thing. Yeah, and <laughs> Angostura is about 50% alcohol, so yeah. Yeah, about that, 47. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and, okay, so the I've just sort of talked about two of, <laughs> of many <laughs> hundreds that you have. And hundreds, uh, hundreds and hundreds. And hundreds. Um, Do you want to maybe espouse a few of your other favourite bitters and and why they're great to you? Oh god, sure. I mean, there's uh, this is always the thing. It's, it's like your children. Start. I know you're just going. <laughs> my children. Which one do I pick? Yeah. Uh, talking about that brand, the Bitter Truth, the German makers of bitters. Great name. Uh, they make a fantastic cucumber bitters. Ooh. Uh, so not terribly bitter itself, but mm. um, flavors of just fresh cut cucumber and uh, black pepper. Hmm. Interesting. Really delicious. Could Great. Good to make just... some pickles. Could use that in a pickle making thing to go with uh, Don Bury. Yeah, it's also great for cooking as well. A couple That's... of dashes straight into a dressing for a salad, fantastic. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the leaves can be a little bit bitter too, so there's a synergy there. Yeah, it goes along quite nicely. Never um... thought of that. I know that Angostura. There's there's some cake recipes that have a bit of Angostura in there too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great little addition to baking. Yes. Um, use it in place of sort of a vanilla uh, extract along those lines. Mm. Um, what else we got good? Talking about your lovely segment on uh, Donburi and uh, the Japanese food, we've got a great brand called the Japanese Bitters, and they make an umami bitters. Oh, really? Which is delightful. It's uh, yes. made with uh, shiitake mushroom <gasps> and uh, seaweed and kombu. Oh, I can hear Ken in the background All sorts going, of great, oh. delicious things. <laughs> so it's amazing adding a few drops of that to something like a dirty martini and really bringing out the dry, savoury sort of flavours of that. Yes. But um, it's also fantastic for seafood. A couple of drops on top of the fresh oyster. Delicious. Really? Yeah, really. Really good, or mm. any sort of raw fish sort of uh, preparation really works really well there. So yeah, look at kingfish. Maybe kingfish could be uh, yeah, a little couple of drops into some ceviche would go very nicely. Get the bitter treatment. Mm. Yeah, and um, apart from um, having this, in, how many bitters do you have on on stock? Uh, last time we counted, to over two hundred and fifty. Sheesh. So quite a lot. And, and what other bits and pieces do you sell in the place? Um, we've also got pretty much everything you could use to make a cocktail at home. Lots cocktail of, um, shakers. Syrups, tonic yeah. syrups, um, cocktail equipment, bar mm. tools, shakers, all that sort of stuff. Lots and lots of books about cocktails and drinking and booze in general. Um, and a nice wide range of vermouth, amaro, bitter liqueurs, hard to find cocktail ingredients. Gotcha. And I'm, actually, I got given a, um, a Negroni serving stick. Uh, that was um, made uh, a mould of the finger of a famous bar. Oh, uh, Gary Regan. Gary Regan, you know him. Yes. Yeah, Gary, yeah. Gary's finger. Yeah, on a... May he rest. We've got those in stock at the store. Yes. <laughs> well, no, no, there was a, a birthday <laughs> present that was given to me. Which, oh, I, um, I think I know where they got it from. Which uh, <laughs> From your place, it, 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 undoubtedly. So uh, the address of the place is? Uh, we're Shop 9, 397 Smith Street, uh, down in Fitzroy. Yes. Uh, Fitzroy-Collingwood border. Gotcha, yeah, on that uh, thing. You're near Crafton Co too, aren't you? Uh, just across the road yeah, from Crafton Co. Yeah, just across the road from Crafton Co. So uh, come on down and, and pick up some of those 
bits and pieces. Uh, and Angus, if uh, there was uh, one bit of advice about bitters and the use of bitters that you'd like to give to people? Um, I'll use more than you expect, absolutely. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go hard. Yeah, there's no shame in uh Come on. Let's... <laughs> Indulge, why not? Well, that sounds great. Well, um, thank you so much for, for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Most enjoyable. I hope you got a little bit of good advice from Rosemary. If you uh, have tuned in late, you can go back and listen back to that. Rosemary Stanton talking about nutrition in times of inflation. It's been nice having you here on the show. I hope you've all enjoyed Thanks again, Angus. Thank you. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 